poop. It's the circle of life. Yeah, I'm so excited that you have a headset because I was ready to, like, murder somebody after <laughs> editing those. I know. It's it's not great, but hopefully the people stick with us through that to get to better sound quality. You're talking weird. Is that because you're really self-conscious now? <laughs> Maybe. I'm, I mean, okay. I've already I, said like once, so. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm working to correct a vocal fry. <laughs> so it's taking pretty much all of my energy, but I'm really doing my best. <laughs> Letting that air really expand in the lungs so that I have fully formed words so that the pod people don't have to listen to me just go, uh, forever. I mean, so. I really didn't mind your vocal fry, but hey, I did mind the ums and the likes from, from me in particular. So I'm working on that. We'll see how it goes today. <laughs> It should dissolve quickly. <laughs> yeah, we're all going. It's all going. It is. Dang it. See, also, I want to stop swearing so much because while I really enjoy hearing the bleeps, it's very annoying to bleep things. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean, I'll try my best. No promises. <laughs> oh, that's the hey, no pressure, no pressure at all. Um, before we start, I just want to acknowledge also how many devices. I am working with right now. So my cell phone that I've had for three and a half years now um, does this mm. fun thing where the battery needs to be replaced so it dies basically immediately once oh. it's unplugged for something. So I always have to carry around a portable battery um, charger thingy. You know what I mean? Like an yeah. external battery backup. But yesterday I bought Alexa, <laughs> Alexa Peters. Um, I bought her old phone which is newer than mine, but the same model. Uh, and it was supposed to be fine. It was unlocked. No big deal. Should be able to work with any carrier in the world. Uh, turns out, yeah, it can work with any carrier in the world except Verizon because it was originally an AT&T phone. And AT&T and Verizon have a dick measuring contest where they won't yes. accept each other's phones, even when, like, there's no reason for them not to. They're, they're, they're like hardware is exactly the same but there's a little software block so you can't use it so what i'm doing is pretty much using the 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 newer phone all the time when i'm on wi-fi or need to like walk and listen to a podcast or something and so now i just carry two phones with me at all times because the other one is the one that can make calls and access the internet when i'm not on wi-fi uh but basically i look like a badass drug dealer Wow, you have because a burner. I just I have a burner. Yeah, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> wow, you're moving up in the world. I sh- is, is that moving up? I mean, hopefully. I mean, in certain aspects, sure. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> great. Glad we sorted that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that was all I wanted to share. Uh, do you have anything? It's been a really long time since we since we recorded. Oh, I so. know. I'm um, sorry. Well. I guess depending on when this is is going up, we should probably say happy holidays, whatever you celebrate to the pod people, uh, Festivus for the rest of us, Chrismica, whatever you want to call it, whatever makes you happy, whatever doesn't offend you and brings you back to listen to more of us, happy whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, we are going to record a holiday episode, though, for Christmas. So just, right. Just so everyone knows. It's happening. I'm saying it now so that it absolutely happens. So we have Great. to – we'll figure out a time to do that later. <laughs> we do. We do. And hopefully everyone that celebrates Thanksgiving um, felt very uncomfortable after their meal. Yeah. That's the best thing you could wish anyone, I think. <laughs> just to be very full. <laughs> Wait. So is this new – um, lifting your voice out of the fry thing, a, a thing that you're doing all the time or just for the podcast? I am trying to do it all the time so that when I record the podcast, it comes more naturally. <laughs> you just sound so not at all like yourself. I mean, I support you in this life decision. Do I sound just... NPR-ish? Do I sound like I maybe run a few things? I don't, I mean, you sound more like a soprano. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. But, yeah, I don't know. You just, well, you sound very, like, um, like maybe stewardess, air stewardess from the 1950s. Wow, that's a big compliment. I <laughs> actually, fun fact, I was a soprano when I was younger, probably until high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I just lost it. Yeah. So I don't know mm-hmm. how. <laughs> Probably you started vocal frying and, uh, yeah, I'm sure that I'm so sure. And I just keep thinking my mom paid for years of voice lessons and I have a vocal fry. <laughs> That's such a waste of money. So <laughs> I should probably like use the skills they taught me to project and have a well-rounded voice and not just like, all the time. So that was motivation for me. Also listening to myself on this was motivation for me. So you're welcome, pod people. Yeah, if they're there. If, is anyone there? Are, are you listening? Hello? Hello? <laughs> Um, no, I, uh, I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to show our insecurities. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're being vulnerable. That's what makes us lovable. So uh, can we please address something that has happened as a part of a wider movement that is very positive, uh, but maybe this particular thing might be a little negative for you, Taylor? God, do we have to? Yeah, I think we do. I mean, given that we've already discussed the Today Show on the podcast, short-lived as it has been so far, uh, I think we really do need to. Guys, this is really, for me, this is kind of like a Bill Cosby all over again, a little less emotional, Um, but it's just so disappointing, isn't it? I mean, you didn't really feel that connected to the Today Show. No, so if anyone does not follow what Matt Lauer does. He, he was accused of, well, this is what's kind of confusing to me. I really didn't, I, all I did, all I know is what I seriously picked up from osmosis on this story, but what Matt Lauer has been accused of having a, what at the time the woman considered a consensual sexual relationship. She was 24 and he was a high powered executive and her her uh, her job superior in some way, so it really couldn't have been totally. I mean, there was more power dynamics in play. Uh, is that what's going on, or has there been something else that I'm also not aware of? Um, I've heard. 
I've heard a few different things that are kind of gross, but I don't know if they're true. Just, and apparently people are saying that um, people that were close to him kind of knew that his marriage was not, was not great for quite a few years and maybe that she was kind of aware of all of this. Oh. And that maybe some of his co-hosts were aware of this. So I'm, I'm not sure what to think about it. I've only, you know, just seen at work, you know, the MSN homepage of he wants a, a buyout and NBC's not giving him one. So he goes into retirement and Ugh, I mean, it's, I guess for him, luckily he isn't, you know, a 35 year old man. He is at least at an age where it's not like, wow, I have to, reti- I have to retire or like try to find a new job after this accusation. At least he has the ability to kind of just disappear because can you imagine trying to find a different job after that? No, I mean, I don't think you probably could, at least not until like people forget and society goes back to the fucked, sorry, the not fucked, dang it, I can't <laughs> not swear. Sorry just to do it. Yourself. Uh, to the, you know, to the fucked up, like the pendulum swings back from the advancements we're making and then everyone's like, sexual harassment is fine again. Or whatever, right. you know. It's disappointing. Um, I, I guess I was never like that tied to him specifically as like a person on the show. Like he was familiar, but I wasn't, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, more so than like the female uh, news anchors like Katie Couric and Ann Curry and people like that over the years. Um, it's not as disturbing to me as the Bill Cosby situation because that to me was devastating. Yeah. This is like, I mean, I don't want to say I'm not surprised, but there's just been so much of this going on lately. And Bill Cosby kind of really started all of this and mm-hmm. it's kind of snowballed from there. And, that to me was devastating because as a kid, I didn't see, I mean, still today, you don't really see network primetime television where there's an affluent black family um, living in a brownstone house. You know what I mean? It was something that no one had seen on TV before and he was so inspirational to a lot of people. So to me, that was really devastating. But this is like, I'll just watch a different news show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds bad, but, um, and I mean, obviously I still appreciate the women that I like on the show now, but. Well, uh. and it kind of, I mean, it kind of ties into another thing that we also talked about in the podcast, I think, uh, but the, uh, oh God, what's his name in the house of cards? Because we both said we couldn't really get into house of cards. Yeah. Kevin Spacey. Kevin. Uh, yeah. And now. I mean, that's all come out too, but what I really did appreciate about that was that they canceled the show with him, but they're going to end the series right? with the other character, like with a female character at the heart of it. Uh, so, I mean, that is a positive, like, at least, because it, that was the thing that I was like, well, crap, so this one person's horrible, horrible actions ruin all these other people's jobs? Yeah. Like, that really sucks for them. Like, what what a... Well, because it's an award-winning television show, and to be connected to something like that 
like that. I mean, yeah, that would be devastating to lose your job because someone else can't control their impulses. Yeah. But I guess the, um, like the most, I don't know, hard for me to reconcile one, uh, of all of the Me Too stuff that was definitely Senator Al Franken. I was just like, yeah, (laughs) you were the one I liked so much. Now I have Hmm. to reevaluate everything. Like, yeah, that was, that was one that was kind of, that yeah. I'm still mulling over. That was your Bill Cosby. Yeah, I don't even, I don't know that that's fair. I think that he didn't mean as much to me as Bill Cosby meant to you. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was kind of like, I don't know. It's that disappointing. was the one of the, the yeah, that was, the, that was a disappointing one. I mean, that and Louis C.K., but the Louis C.K. one was kind of like. Oh, God, that oh, was, well, was bad for me. That I was really another one where I just I love him too. I loved him too. It's like another one where I kind of just was like, though, you know, I'm not shocked. <laughs> yeah, I'm not shocked, but I do really love his comedy, so that is disappointing. <laughs> Let's just say this to close: is that the Today Show is a staple of NBC, whether certain people like it or not. It is a staple Ugh. on NBC, and it was around before Matt Lauer, and it will be around after Matt Lauer. So. There you Suck go. Suck it, Matt Bam. Lauer. There's your, there's your soundbite today show. You're welcome. They love soundbites. I guess there is one very exciting thing that we could talk about, mm-hmm. and that is I tweeted about it. If there's any pod people that follow us on Twitter, at that, those wine chicks, that wine chick, those wine those chicks. Those wine, those wine chicks. <laughs> those wine chicks. I created it, guys, so I should know that. Um, but Taylor Swift's new album, we're... Um, a month late, but nevertheless, we're going to talk about it and give our opinion. Yeah, I mean, hey, let's be honest. I think that if we're shooting for timeliness at all with this podcast, we're going to everyone is involved is going to be sorely disappointed. So I think it's only fair that we talk about things way after the fact. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I listened to the album for the first time today. Uh, Taylor, Mm-mm. I know you pre-ordered, didn't you? Um, yeah, I did. (laughs) I did pre-order and on the first day I did listen to it, I want to say 10 times. So I'm a little ahead of Julia on my feelings about the album, but I'm actually interested to hear your feelings, your first impressions. Yes, it was definitely, I don't, I don't want to say I was disappointed because I do deeply appreciate pretty much everything Taylor Swift now like that that has not always been the case it's been quite a journey to get here for me right Uh, but I don't know I when I was listening to it I was listening to it in a headphone in one ear while I was watching the news with my mom but I kind of did that deliberately because it allowed me to really get an impression of what captured my attention if you will true uh uh, so I did go down the songs that I liked or like that, that were worth me pulling out my phone to write down the titles. Uh, mm. The ones that I put down were, let's see, I put down Don't Blame Me, uh, look, look What You Made Me Do, but I'll say that with the caveat that I, I love the verses in the pre-chorus, but when the chorus kind of drops, I really am not a fan of like the syncopated yeah look what you made me do so that one kind of 
I, I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about, but it's, mm-hmm. it's very attention grabbing. Uh, let's see. I put, so it goes, da- uh, getaway car dancing with our hands tied. This is why we can't have nice things, which I mm. mostly love because of the title and then new year's day. So yes, those were I- kind of my tops from the album. How do you think, where do you think this falls in all six albums? What do you, what's your opinion on that? I, I don't think, I don't know if anyone, anything can top 1989 for me ever. Yeah. Uh, I feel kind of similarly. I, I said that it, for me, it ties with it because both are so different. They're such a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? They kind of diverge from where she was before and they're very experimental and they're just new sounds. And so I think that catches people's attention. And mm-hmm. 1989 was such a huge change for her. So I think this follows it and it changes even more. It's, I still love that she worked with Jack Antonoff a lot. So you have some of that 80s kind of like synth sound in the music. And that's from him. Um, I liked that a lot because I'm obsessed with him. I love him very much. Um, but I think, yeah, my I do love New Year's Day a lot. And this is why we can't have nice things because it's just really funny. Um, but I think my favorite is actually Delicate. I really like that song. I think it has a very imaging heap filter over her voice on it, which I think is very cool. Um, and it also, I think it gives good insight into, we always hear that she is in this failing relationship or she's just come out of this failed relationship and this is the first album we really have where she's consecutively in most songs actually happy Mm -hmm. and I think that's really interesting right because we're not really sure what to do with that (laughs) we're so used to her being sad or mad um that we're kind of like oh Taylor Swift's in love well I don't know how to feel about that um but I think that song is really cool because she says um, you know, my reputation's never been worse, so you must like me for me. And it kind of made me very sad for her because I re- realized all of these other songs, so she's always had this inkling in the back of her mind that, is this relationship for my name or is it for me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of sad. So yeah. I, I don't know. I enjoy that song a lot. I think it gives good insight into kind of where she's at in her life and I don't know. I do think she she might have a drinking issue because I read this article that's like nine out of, was it 13 or 15 songs reference alcohol? (laughs) But also she's 28 years old and I mean, let's be real people. I think we need, you know, the old Taylor is dead as she says. We need to embrace the fact that she is an almost 30 year old adult woman who has relationships and enjoys wine as we do here at Wine and Sentences. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always. Good, good tie-in, Taylor. I applaud you. Uh, Thank you. I, I guess the thing, like, that keeps me from loving the album, because I do like it, and there are a lot of songs that I like, but the thing that keeps me from loving it is just that a lot of the songs blended together for me. Uh, and again, I've only yeah. listened to it once, but on first listen... there are a lot that blend together and also there is a lot of repetition in a lot of the songs and one of the things I always appreciated in the past about uh Taylor Taylor Swift's um music was that 
that she did appreciate a good lyric. Yeah. And appreciated a good, you know, like, not quite ballad, but, you know, right. the story, a storytelling through music. And this, I just felt like, was a lot of the same lines over and over. With a couple exceptions, and those are probably my favorite songs. So I really loved Getaway Car. I'll be listening to that a lot. That is a good one. And also New Year's Day, because there was oh, yeah. just so much striking imagery in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I didn't write down any lines, but like the, the talking about glitter or confetti on the floor, things like that. Yes. There are images that I still have from a song, which is really, I, I think is really powerful. But Did you most- see that she performed that on uh, Fallon? Oh, really? Yeah, it was. It actually made me cry. It was really sad. His mom, Jimmy Fallon's mom, passed away a few weeks ago, and they surprised him by having her come on to just perform a song. I don't think they picked it specifically for any reason. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of like she put him in a better mood. And before, when the episode started, he obviously had to mention the fact that his mom had passed away. And he told this story about how when he was a kid and they would walk, his mom would squeeze his hand three times. And that was how she would say, I love you. And so when Taylor Swift came on and she's playing that song, there's a line that says, squeeze my hand three times in the back of the taxi. And like, poor Jimmy, I felt so bad because he was crying, oh my but goodness. it was really sweet and just really nice. So that's yeah. so sweet. It was. What's your favorite song or songs from the album? I do. I like New Year's Day a lot. Um, I like Delicate a lot. I really like This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things <laughs> because I think we want Taylor Swift to be so nice, right? And she's definitely obviously talking a lot about her Kanye issues on this album. And that song is about him. And I think it's just kind of refreshing because... Yeah, I'm tired of her being nice. So that's I never thought I would say that, but I'm this album I think I'm very relieved to know that <laughs> Taylor's a lot like us but a little different, you know. <laughs> like she also is angsty and mad and she doesn't have to per- do that like face where she's surprised all the time. Like yeah. I think we're we're past <laughs> that a little bit. Um, well, and I think she's in a much different place too as in terms I mean in terms of her reputation. Like I think she was a golden child for so long that you kind of it, it was like kicking a puppy to say something mean about Taylor Swift, but now mm-hmm. that's not the case. Like she gets so much I don't know, she'd always talk about haters before, but I think she now she actually does get quite a lot of hate and not just from random trolls on the internet like media outlets and feminist organizations and all sorts of stuff just criticizing her left and right so yeah I yeah I like that song and I also really love I do love don't blame me um but I really love I did something bad um I think that song also says a lot about her her reputation and just kind of like how she lived her life maybe before now she has a line that says you have to leave before you get left and I thought that was really interesting because she has these serial relationships, you know, and she, she's, I think she's kind of poking fun like she did in Blank Space, where she's kind of creating this person who picks all these men up and flies them around the world and makes them think she loves them and then leaves them. And um, it's kind of interesting, but she's actually saying, I did something bad and it felt really good. And it's kind of letting you know where she's at right now, which 
I find very refreshing. Kudos to you, T Swift. Yay. Yay, Taylor, <laughs> who's also named after after me. <laughs> yeah, how much of that was how much of your affinity do you think comes from that initially? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It is kind of fun to share the same name as a pop star. I'm not gonna lie. Anyways, shall we talk books? Let's do it. So the whole point of this episode today is to talk about our favorite books that we, well, uh, my, my, what, the way that I took this, this theme was the favorite books that I read in 2017. Yes. Because I don't think any of these books came out in 2017. Actually, no, I can, maybe mm. one of them, but. Yeah, I don't think yeah. mine did either. Yeah. So uh, we've gone ahead and we've assembled a list for each of us. We do not have any overlap at all uh, of what we read this year, it looks like. So we picked our top three and a runner-up. And this was, I have to say, though, before we start, this was really hard for me. I, yeah. I read, I feel like I read a lot. Like, I started out 2017 with a goal of reading a book a week. And I did pretty well for a few months uh, until I got really busy. But even when I got busy, I was still reading here and there. And I just couldn't think of books. I couldn't think of what I read. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember mostly what I read. So what I wound up picking were the ones that stood out to me enough that I did remember them. So. Right. I had the same issue because as, as you know, um, I had some duds this summer. <laughs> um, and I'm looking at my, yeah, I was looking at my shelf going, ah, and all the books I wanted to pick, I'm like, oh, I think I actually read those in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the books I've been reading lately are from the library, which speaking of that, before we do get started, I have a challenge for the pod people. If they would like to join me, I have created a challenge for myself to, by the end of 2018, read all of the books on Oprah's best memoirs of a generation list. Ooh, that's so intense. <laughs> if anyone wants to join this challenge, I will put the links to the list um, in the notes section. But basically, it's 25 books, and it's a great range from all different ethnicities. It's a really awesome list, and I think it's um, the best memoirs of the last 22 years, I think is how they kind of did it. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to join me in taking that on, that would be really fun, and we could talk about it on Twitter. So click the link, people. I like it. I would love to look at her list right now, but her website thinks I'm a robot, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to have to fix that later. You can click the link, too. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Okay. So should we do runners-up first? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, just because then we're moving to number one, I guess. Yeah, uh, let's do those honorable mentions. Okay, so this probably deserves, for, my, for mine, probably deserves to be not an honorable mention, but it pissed me off so <laughs> much that I can't rank it. And that, okay, that book is uh, Missoula, Rape and the Justice System in a College Town by John Krakauer. Now, uh, the reason that I read this was because my boyfriend was taking, I think this was for his sex and sexuality class. So he was taking uh, a class and this was on the reading list. So it was just sitting in our living room for a very long time. And I had wanted to read it when I, <laughs> this is, this shows how classy I am when I first saw it in Costco. Um, oh yeah. But 
I hadn't because we were considering moving to Missoula and I didn't want to read the book about Missoula rape uh, if we were going to move to Missoula. So I put it off and then we did not wind up moving to Missoula. We moved to Bozeman. So I felt it was safe to read it. Uh, It was not safe to read it because I am still like shaking with rage at this book because it's not just... Uh, it's not saying that Missoula is a particularly rapey town. It's like a horrifyingly average town, college town when it comes to rape, how they're handled by the police, how they're handled by the uh, justice system, like, or, you know, by the courts, uh, by the schools. And it's very, very frustrating and needs to change. I mean, just some quick examples, because I could seriously probably talk for an hour about (laughs) how frustrated this book makes me. But uh, women are consistently asked by police when they come in to report a violent sexual crime. They are asked if they have a boyfriend. And sometimes they are told we're asking that because sometimes women have affairs and they're they're too scared to come like they're too ashamed to come clean about it so they report a rape instead (laughs) which just like what (sighs) and then another thing that very much infuriated me that I learned from this book um obviously the the defense who the you know everyone has the right to a defense in a trial I completely support that. That's a tenant of our legal system. Um, And I get that the defense's job is to do everything in their power to defend their client. However, when that includes perpetuating very damaging myths that are contradicted by science about how women respond when they're sexually assaulted, um, about typical behavior, about how people's bodies respond, like when they're just perpetuating these things that we know are false in the public understanding, it just makes me insane. Like, it's so, like, you know, there are experts who talk about how a woman might not immediately, especially if it's an acquaintance rape, might not immediately realize, oh, hey, you know, I've been raped. She might think that it couldn't possibly, I know this person and trust them. I haven't been raped. She might hug them goodbye. She might drive them home. Uh, and that is all completely normal. They'll try to say, like the defense will try to say, well, how could she possibly have been raped? She gave him a hug and drove him home. She got a snack from the kitchen. Anyway, sorry. God. It just makes me so mad. It's a beautiful, like beautifully written book. Of course, John Krakauer is, amazing he's an amazing journalist he's great at what he does but the subject matter was just infuriating which is kind of the point I get that but it was also a stressful one to read anyway that's my runner-up murder uh I'm sorry murder Missoula uh, rape and the justice system in a college town by John Krakauer all right well you (laughs) guys this is much lighter reading (laughs) Good. We need that. Um, yeah, sometimes you need light reading. And I actually did pick this as my honorable mention because I think that most people that enjoy YA would be turned off by the book titles. So I just want to put it out there that, yes, these titles are cheesy. No, I'm not sure what Stephanie Perkins was thinking, but... These are really, really good YA books. They're well-written. 
the plot is, you know, actually developing. It's not a Billy and me situation. And I really think that any age could enjoy these. So Stephanie Perkins has written three books. They're kind of a series. The characters overlap in some of the books, not crazy dramatically, um, sometimes, but you don't necessarily have to read every book in the series, but I think she would call it a series, if that makes sense. Um, so they're Anna and the French Kiss, Lola and the Boy Next Door, and Isla and the Happily Ever After. See, those sound really stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> and I mean, a little bit. <laughs> they do. And I, when I first was told to read Anna and the French Kiss by some people on YouTube, there was multiple people saying, I just love this book so much. Um, I love the characters. And I was thinking, okay, that sounds horrible. But of course, I had to pick it up when I was at Powell's. And I swiftly returned. Yeah, you can't. And I swiftly returned for the other two because it's it just you keep you want to keep reading. And I don't know what one's my favorite. Probably the first one, probably Anna and the French Kiss. They all kind of take place in different cities. So basically the first one, this girl named Anna, she goes to boarding school in Paris and she makes friends there and has this relationship. And um, so they all kind of overlap in the fact that the second book, Lola and the Boy Next Door, takes place in San Francisco, and the main character, Lola, works with Anna, who has now moved to San Francisco to go to college, because she is American. She's moved back home. So she kind of meets these people, and the stories don't necessarily overlap, but the characters do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Isla and the Boy Next Door is back at the Paris boarding school, and she is falling for one of the guys in Anna's friendship group who was younger than them, who is now a senior and has stayed behind while his friends kind of moved on to college. And they're both from New York, so it takes place half the time in New York and half the time in Paris. It's really interesting, and if you have like any kind of like wanderlust at all, you want to read these books because it just makes you want to go to Paris. And I love Paris, so I love to read about people living in Paris. <laughs> yeah, I'm seriously going on overdrive right now to see you, if I can... Your Instagram is popping with Paris. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, just or France in general. Paris. Yeah, just for, I, yeah. I, well, that's part of the problem. I don't have enough pictures of Paris, so I need to go back just to take more pictures. So. <laughs> I love Paris so much. Anyways, yeah, um, give them a read. I think people will really enjoy them. I think she has some other books that she's done in collaboration, um, but I think these are her only three that she's done herself, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Well, I just love when stories have, like, when there's a series, like you said, with overlapping characters. Yeah. uh, Because you get, I don't know, you feel like you get a connection. You get to reconnect with those characters from a different perspective sometimes. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I really enjoyed the series. I thought it was good fun. That sounds just like what I need right now. If my internet were working better I would check them out from the library on my new phone (laughs) but uh it's not so we'll have to come at least I have hey I have a great reference and so does everyone listening to the podcast because hopefully our lovely website wineandsentences.com will be live with links to all of these things that we are talking about so there you go (laughs) my my third pick 
for books I read this year. It's a book called Stranger in the Woods by Michael Finkel. Uh, and it, the reason that I found this book is because on an impulse last winter, I went to an author event in Bozeman, where I live, uh, at a bookstore there. And it was for this book. And I had just spent too much money that day. And I was like feeling bad about how much money I had spent. I went to this author event just to hear the talk. And then I wound up buying his book as well, because I just couldn't (laughs) control myself. Uh, But basically, it's another, it's actually, if you do like John Krakauer, it's very similar reported style of writing to that. Uh, Michael Finkel is a journalist. He is from Bozeman, I believe, but he's been living in Paris recently, so that's pretty cool. But he Mm. wrote this book about uh, this guy who was a hermit in the woods of Maine, uh, and he actually lived without speaking to another person for decades. Wow. He lived in the Maine woods, did not light a fire the whole time. <sighs> Maine gets cold in the winter. Yeah. Uh, and he stole, basically, he, the way he lived was by s- stealing from the summer houses around these Maine lakes. And mm. he was eventually caught and arrested because he was stealing from, I think it was a summer camp. Uh, so... He was finally caught, and his story came out, but he had been basically a legend in this part of Maine for these decades that he had been stealing from people's houses because he would cause no damage, but people would notice that maybe a lock wasn't locked when they came back the next summer. You know, books would go missing, uh, cans of food, but there was never, like, nothing was ever ransacked, nothing was damaged it was just very clear that someone had been in their house when they weren't there so that's crazy yeah and he's a really interesting guy and he it's a really interesting read because it also goes into a lot like about the types of people who would be hermits and it Mm. talks it talks about you know how this guy it was painful for him to be around other people he was just such an introvert, such like not even not an introvert, like just could not handle other people. Uh, so it was what I liked about it was that it kind of reminded me of uh, Into the Wild, one by John yeah. Becker, but that kid pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And this guy was very adamant about like because because that Alex uh, Alex whatever his name was. Um, yeah, I can't remember. McCandless, I think it was Alex McCandless, like, was completely romanticizing everything. He was, like, the king of romanticization about his situation and the way he wanted to live. He didn't seem to care that he was hurting his family, although there have been, like, suggestions that maybe his family was abusive. We don't know, whatever. Um, but uh, this was not like that. This This guy first of all, got to speak for himself. He did agree to be interviewed by the author, uh, and he talked about his time living in the woods, and one of the first things he said was, just make sure you don't, like, never romanticize me. What I did was wrong. I stole from people. I took away, but more than that, I took away their sense of security. Like, this was a place where people used to leave their doors unlocked and never have to fear that anything would happen, and I took that away from them. 
And so he was really direct and upfront about understanding that what he had done was wrong and that he wasn't doing it for any grand notion. It was just because he hated being around people. So it's a really good one. Stranger in the Woods, Michael Finkel. Little heavy. Unfortunately, all of mine are very heavy today. (laughs) I was going to say, guys, good thing I'm bringing y'all some levity. Yeah, Taylor, I'm glad you're here. Okay, well, I say that. This is the last bit of levity I will bring you because my my other two books are heavier because I've moved into my memoir year. And that means that we read things that matter. Not that fiction doesn't matter, but I think I spend a lot of time reading fiction, you know, and I want to just read people's stories. So I'm expanding my horizons. Anyways, so my third pick is The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon. Um, it is a YA novel, and Nicola Yoon also wrote the book Everything, Everything, which got made into a movie. I think she's more well-known for that. Um, but I thought it was very timely to talk about this, and when it came out, it was incredibly timely, and it's even in the No Ban, No Wall section of Powell's Bookstore, <laughs> um, because it deals with deportation. So basically, I feel like I can't give too much away. I will say that it's a alternating perspectives in the book. It's about a girl who is Jamaican and she lives in New York with her family and they are on the verge of being deported and she's trying everything she can to get her family to be able to stay in the country and she's trying to talk to all these higher up people and she's really struggling and her family has kind of just gone, okay, um, we're going to move back to the island. It's going to be, everything's going to be eerie, (laughs) as the Jamaicans say. And her dad... It's kind of delusional. He's moved them all over because he thought he was going to be an actor and he kind of failed and didn't succeed at that. And he's very delusional about their reality, I think. Um, And she's very practical and very logical. And on the other side, this boy who comes from a Korean family, um, his parents own a a beauty supply store and they're fast tracking him to go to Yale, I believe. Um, And his brother also goes to an Ivy League school and is very smart, very mean to him. And he's just kind of like, that's not really for me, but I'm not really sure how to say that or to disappoint my parents who are immigrants. Um, And these two people meet for one day in New York and it's about the day before her family is deported and what happens between these two people. And Mm -hmm. It is so interesting. I mean, Nicolina is an incredible writer. Um, I really love her. And it's actually interesting. She is Afro-Caribbean and her husband actually is Korean. Um, so I'm sure it also reflects a lot of her own life. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's a really great book and it just has you continually turning the pages wanting to know what's going to happen. And I just love the way she writes about them. Basically, they're trying to decide whether it's worth it or not to fall in love, not with each other necessarily, but in general. Mm. And they're talking this, this theory through and he's, there's this thing that's been circulating in the internet where it's like, if you ask, if you sit down with someone and you answer these like 37 questions or something together, by the end of it, you'll be in love because it gets so intimate. And so he's asking her all these questions and she's like, yeah, I don't believe in that stuff. And he really does. And so he's trying to convince her, if I ask you all these questions, you could fall in love with me. And she's like, no, that's not going to happen for you. And they're kind of having this back and forth the whole time. Um, but are different perspectives. It's really interesting and very timely and, just amazing. And I love Nicole Yoon so much. So yeah. that sounds fantastic. I also want to read that. It's great.
And my number two for this year was also one that was on my boyfriend's reading list for his sex and sexuality class. <laughs> uh, it's The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret oh, Atwood. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Why? Can I just say I've read this book three times? Well, really? Three times. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. Thank I don't you. think I could handle reading it three times. I read it twice for a class and once the first time I ever read it was an ex-boyfriend. He, oh my God, an ex-boyfriend was reading it for a class. (laughs) Whoa, (laughs) that's that's a weird connection. And he dropped the class. So I just kept the book. I still have it. And I loved it. And then I convinced two other class groups to want to read it because I want to read it again so much. So there's that. Oh God. Well then good. We can, we can discuss it a little bit because, oh my God, this, see, when the God awful election happened last year, I remember Margaret Atwood making statements saying, Mm -hmm. I wrote this as a warning, not as a guidebook. What have (laughs) you crazy Americans done? She's not American. Is she? I don't think she is. Is she Canadian? I think I think so. she might be American. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, if she's not American, she's, she's Canadian. She's Canadian. She is, yeah. yeah. So she was like, what have you crazy Americans done? Uh, yeah. And, the, wow, yep, true. Um, that, I don't know. I, <sighs> I don't know. Say something about The Handmaid's Tale because it's. I'm still a little scarred. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's my, probably after Jane Eyre. It's my most dog-eared and underlined book. Um, it, I think I read it when I was a freshman in college, probably my first quarter. And mm-hmm. I read it over Christmas break. I remember that. I remember we were traveling to Bend before my parents lived there. And I remember reading it in the car and I could not put this book down because I'd never seen anything like this book before. Um, it, it totally was a warning. It totally was a warning. And no one listens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I just can't. I, yeah, when she was tweeting about that after the election, I really couldn't stop shaking my head. Like, it, it came true. And I remembered back to reading it. And it's just, especially now with all these, like, allegations coming out with all these men, too. It's just like, oh, my God, what's happening? I still haven't watched the show of this. Yeah. I, I want to. I really was resistant to watching the show because before I read the book. Now I want to watch it, but before I read the book, I I was hearing such how great it was, but also obviously how soul torturing it is. So I just didn't yeah. think I could handle that right then at that moment, and I'm still not sure if I if I really want more of that soul torturing in my life. But it's supposed to be so yeah. Good. I wasn't sure, and then I saw that Alexis Bledel won an Emmy for oh, wow. her role, and I was like, I need to see Alexis Bledel do Emmy-worthy work. Not that she's not amazing on Gilmore Girls, because I identify very closely with Rory. And Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. But, and Sisterhood, um. yeah. But, I mean, Emmy award-winning work, I gotta see that. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's, okay, very fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I guess my reaction to it, uh, yeah, it, it's a little disconcerting how 
easy it would be for that to happen, I guess, mm-hmm. and how I how easily I can see how that could happen, especially because, well, okay, so brief summary for anyone who hasn't read it. Yeah, so, so let's give a summary. <laughs> yeah, we're we're in a in The Handmaid's Tale. We're in a near future dystopia where um, so society has been overturned, basically, and there's an old like a new order, uh, basically. Basically, a new order of, like, very well-defined patriarchy. Uh, Women have no agency, uh, and their society is divided into a couple different classes. So you have the wealthy higher-ups, the the men who run things and their wives. Um, Then you have these handmaids who are surrogates. Right, for, for the higher-ups. The higher-ups to have children because fertility rates have gone way far down. And these wives, most of them can't have children of their own. So these women have been enlisted against their will to have sex with creepy old men uh, in a very ritualistic fashion to hopefully bear their young. So you have that echelon of society. And then you have like everyone else who's basically been sent away to work colonies yeah like basic yeah essentially work camps uh there's a like people people die all the time from exposure it it, it's implied that there's been some sort of nuclear disaster as well and that's Mm -hmm. probably what's affected the fertility and we don't really know what's happening on the colonies either yeah it just seems like it's bad bad news bears uh and it seems as though this is localized to the united states because people are always trying to run away Mm -hmm. to canada and other countries yeah Um, but well and let's not forget these women don't have names anymore they're of fred or of george or they're of a man's name they don't have names anymore and and i guess what was the the creepiest because you're you're getting flashback or you're you're getting the story from a handmaid because it's the handmaid's tale and you were seeing flashbacks into her former life, which was mm-hmm. the when when was this book written? Uh, the I want to say it's it's the eighties. It's like the, the mid eighties, I believe. I want to say like eighty three, eighty five. Uh, I'm very good with remembering estimations. Eighty five. Well done, Taylor. <laughs> Thank you. I have a weird skill where I can remember release dates of books and movies. Don't ask me how. That's a, hey, that's a pretty handy skill to have. I have to say, it came came in handy right now. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so so it's like her recent past as a woman mm-hmm. in the nineteen eighties, very much into women's lib, and so she had a life of her own, an agency of her own, and how that slowly got chipped away by this uh, overthrow of society, and now she's here having sex with a creepy old man. Uh, right. And we're made to believe that she had a husband and a kid before this all happened, right? Yeah, she did, and her kid was taken away from her, uh, and her husband, she doesn't know what happened to him. Right. Um, she looks for him on the wall where they hang, like, traitors or, mm-hmm. you know, pariahs in society. Uh, but she doesn't know, and she does have an inkling that her child has been adopted by right. one of those wealthy families. But uh, she, yeah, she she'll probably never say see either of them again. It's very chilling. Yeah, um, and just the way that they did do it too. It's like first they come after unmarried couples mm-hmm. because you know having sex outside of marriage is bad. 
And then they come for anyone who's been divorced in the past, and that's how they get her. Yeah. So she's she's married. She has a child in wedlock, but she she her she or her husband had been divorced. So, right. Bam. So. Yeah. You know, free, freezing women's bank accounts, like just so automatically, then you're dependent on a man. Just shit like that. It's like, wow. Yeah, we're only steps away from that, aren't we? It's pretty creepy. And oh nope. <laughs> Sorry, my cat just jumped up on my laptop. <laughs> I knew I saw it coming. I motioned to Garrett. He did not help. Um, hi, Lulu. Sorry. I'll call hi, you Lulu. later. Julia <laughs> says hi. Um, yeah, it is. She made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> it is uh, creepy and chilling and not surprising and not unbelievable. Yeah. And that's what's the creepiest part. And also very engrossing. I think I read it in two days while I was working a crazy amount. Like it was not, it was not two days that I had to read. It was two days where I was supposed to be living my life. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's creepy. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, So, anyway, (laughs) mine is not lighter. Okay. It's lighter. I'll say that. It's not, it's not fluff. But it is lighter than Handmaid's Tale, but that doesn't take a lot. Um, (laughs) So my second book is Mom and Me and Mom by Maya Angelou. I just read this probably a month ago, a month and a half ago. This is on Oprah's best memoirs list. um, So that's how I found it. And I am actually ashamed to say that this is the first book I've ever read by Maya Angelou. Despite the fact that I quote her all the time and I have such a love for her. I had never read any of her books before. Taylor, wow. I'm taking away your I know. Oprah would be ashamed of me. Oprah (laughs) would be actually ashamed of me. Because, you know, my Angela was like Oprah's like mom figure in her life. Figure. Figure. Um, (laughs) Oh my god. I have an English major, guys. Um so this book is obviously it's a memoir, and it at first I was really not sure I was going to like this purely based on the writing style, because it kind of, it's not stream of conscious, but it it kind of ebbs and flows. So it'll, you know, one second she'll be seven years old and then she'll be in this place and then she'll be older. And then it kind of skips around a little bit. And at first I was like, oh no, I'm not going to like this. It is the story of how she forms a relationship with her mother and it takes place in a time where I would say during this time, I would, I would bet you if you pulled a lot of black women, a lot of them would say they were raised by their grandmothers. I don't know why, but I keep, I keep coming back to this conclusion and hearing this all the time. I think grandmothers in the black community also just play a very big role. Um, but basically her mother and father, I think were kind of young when they had her and her brother and they just were very messed up and had some drinking problems. They fought all the time. They just did not get along. So they divorced and sent their son and daughter, Maya Angelou and her brother, to live with her dad's mother in the South. And they lived in, her parents lived in California. And so she grows up in a very churchified, (laughs) you know, house with her grandmother. And she's very timid and she's a very good girl and quiet. 
And eventually her mom basically asks for them to be brought back to her and she's ready for them now. And I think Maya Angelou was, I want to say she was about 14 when that happened. And she was very resistant because obviously her grandmother had raised her. She didn't know this woman. And all she knew was that she didn't really want me. And so it's kind of how they come to form an insanely intense relationship that you don't even think is possible when you start reading the book, come to the end. Her mother was a very interesting woman, a very multifaceted woman, and very involved in the community. Um, She was like an entrepreneur. She had her own businesses and it's, it's an incredible book. And I think everyone should read this book, especially daughters. I think it's, and mothers. I think it's just really amazing. And it made me want to meet her mom because her mom just sounded so interesting and like such a cool person to talk to. So yeah, that's my second pick. Was, was her mom, was, was her mom a dancer or something? Like, no, I'm thinking. Maya Angelou was a dancer for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. A burlesque dancer. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, because I I put like ten thousand hearts next to this. I saw that <laughs> um, because I haven't read it. I checked it out from the library once. I started reading it, and then I got distracted, and it automatically returned itself. The ebook did, but mm. I I only read my first Maya Angelou last last fall winter. Um, after, again, after that unspeakable election, I was in New Zealand and I read letters to my daughter and Mm. it was like, I very highly recommend Taylor that you read this next because that is, it's still one of the books that has most influenced me in my life, which is getting more rare as I get older. Like I feel like most of the books that had the biggest impact on me, I read when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so to find one now that's felt like it's made such a big impact is pretty special. And it it was exactly what I needed to read then. It felt like she was talking to me in that moment and the way that I felt. And it was, yeah, just so beautifully written. But I just... Does she have a daughter? I thought she just had a son. Or is it from her mother? uh, No, it's, it's like hypothetical. It's like all the women she has mothered. Yeah, exactly. And like all, all of the women who read her work. And her, the way that she okay. feels for them. Um, I was say, I know she has a son, but yeah, no, no, no. That's she all. actually doesn't have a daughter. Um, Had, I guess, she passed away, unfortunately. Yeah, but she was really old, <laughs> like ninety something, I believe. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, I do really, really want to read that one, though. Yes, I, I love her. I've loved her ever since I first saw her on Oprah when I was a kid, um, and I know they had it incredibly special relationship and she actually dedicates in in the dedications Oprah is in there as a woman she has mothered um and she just you know Maya Angelou has those like one-liners that just (laughs) really make you think and my biggest one from her is you know when people show you who they are believe them the first time (laughs) I've always lived my life by that ever since Oprah (laughs) mentioned that um I, yeah, I love her. I think she's a beautiful writer, and I want to read everything she's ever written now. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the road to that, I hope. It's like That's a great segue um, into my next book, because Yay. I actually live in fear of reading everything from certain authors. 
Mm. Like, because then there's nothing new to read because one day we all will die, including Stephen King. Um, Mm. (laughs) So this year I read It, which I feel like it should be surprising that I haven't read It already because I'm such a big Stephen King fan. But it was one that I was saving. Yeah. Um, There are a couple still that I have cashed away. Like, I still haven't read Salem's Lot and I'm putting it off, um, and there are a couple others I can't remember right now that I have not read yet, because I'm saving them for one day when I still need there to be a really good Stephen King book that I haven't read. <laughs> I mean, he's but not I, that old, Julia. There might be time still. He's like he's like 70. He keeps threatening he's going to retire, so I don't oh, know. Oh, impossible. He's Stephen King. Right. But so... <laughs> Um, yeah, he writes every day, including on Christmas, apparently, but, wow. uh, yeah, so I did read it. I read it very quickly because I wanted to see the new movie. Um, right. And <laughs> I did enjoy it. It was just such an edifice though, such a rambling edifice in some parts. Mm. And there were a couple typical Stephen King moments where I was just like, you just wrote this because you had this creepy twisted thought and none of your editors had the balls to be like, Hey man, you should probably not include that. Cause it's it's a little, it's a little weird. (laughs) Like even for you, you know that Stephen King does not get edited anymore. Probably what he submits is what what gets published because it's <laughs> Stephen King. I really don't think that's true. It's Stephen I'm... King who's going to say anything, you know. A good editor. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, I no, I I got that opinion from an editor whose podcast I listened to. Oh, um, so that's um, I, that was not my not. own. So I don't know um, because <laughs> because Stephen King's method is very much like throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. He just puts pumps out words that's what he yeah. talks about in on writing and stuff but anyway it was just I don't know spoilers but like the child orgy thing it was it just it was like really this seems a little out of out like out of left field it was one of those moments do you know about this no I will say don't get mad I've never read a Stephen King novel I don't really prefer mysteries and yeah <laughs> Did don't you just me. say you don't go for mysteries? I don't like mysteries. They're not mysteries. <laughs> oh my Some God. of his novels are mysteries. No, they're really not mysteries. They're like thriller. Um, oh, yeah, I don't like being scared. Some people say horror, but they're not that scary. Okay, Taylor. I got scared by The Truman Show and the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze. Okay, well, Is that Patrick ha- Swayze? Yeah, yeah, that is a scary movie because um, it's just so bad. Sorry, Patrick Swayze, I love you. Uh, oh, he died on my birthday. Oh, that's this year? <laughs> <laughs> no, in like 2004, uh, oh, okay. 2009. I was going to say, I thought he died a little bit ago. Never mind. Anyway, Taylor, <laughs> sorry, I'm assigning you reading. Um, you have to read 112263. It's not scary at all. It's, okay, I don't like thing. to be scared at all. That's the thing. The thing is, it's like Stephen King is very often classified as horror, but I feel like a lot of his books are not horror. Um, they're, they I will all say, fantastic like, elements. But I like his movies. The movies that have been made from his novellas are some of my favorites because I believe his novella became Shawshank Redemption. Yes, and the movie Stand by Me, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that. 
is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I know that was also his novella. I think The Body it was called. Um, So I will say that. I do do love like that type of a story, but I don't, yeah, I don't like to be scared. So like something like It would, I I just could not. No, (laughs) I I don't recommend that you read It. I mean, I. Or like Cujo or like, you know, I can't handle. Okay, so so we said we weren't going to go on any tangents, but ha, we all knew that that was a lie uh, at the beginning. (laughs) Um, No, you have to read 112263. It's basically a romance. I, I would say at, the, at its heart, it's a romance, but it involves time travel and attempts to stop the Kennedy assassination. And I would say the most intense it gets is like, it's very fast paced and a little bit suspenseful, mm. but I don't think there's anything that strikes me as horror. And also it's very nostalgic for the fifties or the sixties, yeah. sorry, like the late fifties, early sixties. So there's that. Uh, okay. I wrote it down, so I will give it my best shot. Okay. Um, but so in it, anyway, back to child orgies, yay. Yay. Uh, no, in, in it, there is a scene where, like, all of the young characters have sex with their one female friend. Um, and it just, I don't know, it was one moment where I was like, I kind of saw what he was trying to do. But on the other hand, he was having a bunch of kids have sex, and it was just kind of weird in a way that, is weird. that seemed like out of sync with the way that Stephen King normally is weird. And there's usually at least one thing per book like that. So I don't know. Hmm. That one was a particularly unexpected one. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't, I was expecting it to be scarier. I was almost a little disappointed that it wasn't more scary. I've got to say, but it was very good. And I really loved the characters. Like it was, it was a very character driven book. And I very much appreciated that. So kudos to you, Stephen King. I know that that was the exposure you were desperately, desperately dying for in your career. You know, he just doesn't get talked about enough, Stephen King. (laughs) That's Uh, what I've always You're welcome, Stephen. We'll do you a favor anytime. We know Uh, it's hard for you. okay. Okay. My number one book pick is The Color of Water by James McBride. And it's, I think the full title is The Color of Water, A Black Man's Tribute to His White Mother. And Mm -hmm. this book, my mom told me before I started reading that this was originally on Oprah's book club back in the 90s, I want to say. I think it came out in 96. There's my memory. (laughs) And um, I remember my mom having this book on the shelf. And she said that she got rid of so many books recently, but she couldn't get rid of this book and that I was going to love it. And, you know, and we have pretty similar tastes, so... Taylor, I'm sorry. I have to interrupt you. It came out in 1995. Dang it. Oh, you know why? Never mind. Okay. I think I had a newer edition. I had a newer edition because he wrote like an afterword in it. Um, And the numbers, the multiple numbers at the beginning probably confused me. Anyway. That's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ruin your flow. I just wanted to tell you that your superpower failed. Wow. I'm actually pretty disappointed in myself. Like, low key. Um, (laughs) so anyways, this book literally, I think it's going to go up with my top five favorite books I've ever written, written. (laughs) I didn't write this book guys. (laughs) This is the top in the top five books I've ever read in my life. Probably. I love this book. I couldn't stop talking about this book or recommending this book. It totally, I don't know. 
it just really made me think about things, I guess, from like a mixed race perspective that I hadn't, I didn't have to think about in my life, luckily, that this author did. Um, But basically, the premise of it is that uh, James McBride kind of didn't know a lot about his mom when he was growing up, including whether she was white or not. And she would refuse to tell them information about herself until he sat down with her in the 90s and she told him her life story. And that became this book. And so growing up, he was one of 12 kids. He, his mom was from Poland, I believe. Her family was Jewish and they immigrated to America. And uh, she, I want to say... She was probably like 15 when she moved over to America and her dad was a rabbi, not a good one. He was not a nice man Mm. and her mom was a cripple and they lived in the deep South and he opened a grocery store. And so they ran the grocery store for kind of the black community in their town. And she had a hard time kind of fitting in and, it wasn't a good, a great time to be Jewish in the South. And she ended, ends up moving to New York because her mom's, all her mom's sisters and mother live in New York and they're actually all very successful women with their own factories and businesses. Like they're New York Jews. <laughs> and her mom is kind of the unsuccessful one. And so she, when she's like 18, she moves up to New York because she says, you know, I'm tired of this. I don't want to hold on to this religion. It makes me feel bad about myself. And I just don't, and she's been molested by her dad. She's had this horrible life and she decides to start over and um, she falls in love with a black man and marries him at a time where that didn't happen. And they start a church together, a Baptist church, (laughs) which the author, this like makes me want to cry. The author says that when his, he would go to church with his mom growing up, she would sit there and cry. And she said it was because she was, she'd never felt so happy because she finally felt like she fit in somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I just love this book. But basically, she marries this black man. They start a church together. They have eight kids. And when she's pregnant with the author, the dad passes away. And so she has these eight kids by herself in New York. Yeah. And this man comes into their life that he calls daddy. It's his stepdad. And he (laughs) always says, we have enough for a basketball team. And he kind of sees her in that she's in need and kind of falls in love with her. And he's much older than her and marries her and takes care of all these kids. And they actually have four kids of their own. So that she has 12 children. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think he eventually passes away when the author is probably like in high school, but all of his siblings, he has a list in the back of the book, all of his siblings at least have a bachelor's degree and at most like five of them have PhDs and are doctors or lawyers. Oh my goodness. She would bus her kids an hour and a half each way to go to good white or Jewish schools so they didn't have to go to the poor black public schools in their neighborhood. Wow. It's incredible. Like this woman like moved me. Like I could not even imagine like the sacrifice she made. Like she wouldn't eat so her kids could eat. She always told them that, you know, education is the most important thing you can do for yourself. Focus on that and you will be okay in life. And he grew up his whole life, not even knowing if his mom was white or black. She wouldn't tell him. Wow. And he was very, and I I think, you know, eventually that really confused him about who am I? Because being mixed race in America, first of all, 
being the black kid whose white mom picks you up when everyone else's black mom is picking them up. It really confused him. And he never even knew that he was Jewish until, you know, much later on in his life. And I don't think still identifies that way. I think he feels like akin to the Jewish community, but I don't think he, you know, identifies that way. Um, Cause she didn't practice that. She was Baptist, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's just so interesting. The life they lead and how 12 kids kind of manage each other when their mom is at work is crazy. <laughs> the hierarchy in a house of 12 children where the mother is not home. Oh, um, I believe it. Jeez. That's so but yeah, kids. <laughs> it, it like had me crying on public transportation. It is such an incredible book. This woman's story, she came from nothing and all of her children are so successful. It's crazy. So Color of Water by James McBride, pick it up. It's, it, it will like change your perspective and like what you're grateful for and what you take for granted for sure. Wow, we both have pretty intense reading years, it sounds like. I know. That's more recent for me, too. I read Color of Water and Mom and Me and Mom back to back. So I was like, all the mothers. Goodness. (laughs) I was very overwhelmed. But yeah, I, guys, the memoirs are working out for me. Hey, I'd be totally down to do a once a month book club on the podcast and go read some memoirs with you. Well, I am very much in the beginning of reading Lolita and Turan, if you're interested. Oh, I love that book. I cannot get into it to save my life. I Okay, I have these spurts where I'm like, ooh, and like her poetry and her writing kind of just like sweeps me away. And then I'll have other port, parts where I'm like, ah, I can't get into this. And it's because she's Cormac McCarthying the whole book. She doesn't use punctuation or quotations. <laughs> I'm like, who is talking right now? I don't understand. And also, I do like it because I feel like I'm in a lecture class, and I like that, but mm. I don't like it because I haven't read Lolita, so I feel like she's lecturing to someone who forgot to do their homework. Oh, my God. Well, you're not missing out very much by not reading Lolita. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I didn't. It sounds terribly depressing. It is very depressing. Um, I only, full disclosure, I only read about half of it because Mm. it's very long and very stressful to read. Uh, (laughs) um, I know that there are all these people who are like, who who say how beautiful they think the writing is and that's why they love it so much. But it's a book about a pedophile. So yeah, it is. I just, it's creepy. Yeah. I just can't, I can't get behind it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy the book. I'm like on page 50, I want to say. I mostly read it on my way to and from work on the bus, but I need to like sit down and actually put the time in. I accidentally got two books at once, like from the library. Like I thought, oh, this will take forever to get off of being on hold. So I'll just get this one. And I have The Beautiful Struggle by... I always mess his name up. It's like Tanessa He Coates. He also wrote the book We Were Eight Years in Power more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a few books out, but it's kind of, I think it's going to be a similar vibe to Color of Water, mostly because James McBride is the blurb on the front of this book, which <laughs> tells me it's going to be good, but it's it's his relationship with his dad and his brother, I believe, growing mm-hmm. up and about you know being black in America and um, I really want to read We Were Eight Years in Power because that 
has to be in mind. Sorry for swearing. But, um, it's fine. It's fine. We swear. That's the thing. <laughs> very true. But yeah, so I'm kind of like super eager to read that. So I can't really focus because it's like in my house taunting me and calling to me. So yeah, I'm trying. And I do... I do think I need to read this book because I love this list because it has kind of every culture. It does have a lot of black authors on it. I mean, it's Oprah, but it also has like Latina authors and obviously um, Iranian and um, I guess Mindy Kaling's on there. So Indian, it has a lot of ethnicities and I think it's so interesting to see how different cultures work. Um, And I'd have to be honest, I didn't know a lot about Iranian culture until I started reading this book. So I think I do need to read it, but I'm just having a hard time getting into it. Yeah, I can understand. And like, I said I loved it, but now I can't remember. Hang on. Um, I can't remember why or when I read it. No, I'd be all I just about that. She... Let's do that. End of January, yeah. Taylor. We're going to discuss it. This was this was very exciting though. I've already checked out Anna and the French Kiss. Um, I had been meaning to read The Sun is Also a Star for a long time too, so I think it's about time. Uh, yeah, probably that I read that. Um, sorry, there's a cat pooping in my room. Stella, please stop. I hope it's in a box and not just on the floor. It was a bit of both, it looks like. She had some issues. Oh, it's all over her tail. Okay, well, I have to go deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, it. Oh, my God, it smells so bad. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to let you pick up the poop. That's a great ending to our podcast, Books to Poop. It's the circle of life. Thanks for listening to Wine and Sentences. You can find me, Julia, at Noun Conformist all across the internet. That's N-O-U-N Conformist, Instagram, Twitter.com. Taylor is at TaylorYoung91, wherever you find your social media. And of course, our podcast is at Those Wine Chicks all across the internet. Come say hi. Our website is wineandsentences.com, which you can check out for bonus blog posts, more on what we're drinking, and links to everything we talked about today. Special thanks for royalty-free music and sound. Our theme music is by Ben Sound. We use a soothing chime from Freesound user Zeus, and we fix our f***ing foul mouths with a bleep from Freesound user Ermine. Thanks again. Bye.